We're encouraged by the faith of Abraham, next on Abounding Grace. Are we fully convinced that what he promised he's able to perform, even when we don't see it, even when time passes, even when trials come, even when temptation comes, even when we're tested, Abraham was fully convinced that who God, what had God promised, he was able to perform, and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Isn't that great? This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, we recall the faith of Abraham and see together how it can encourage our own faith in God. You see, he received a promise at 75 years of age that he would be the father of many nations, have a child, and be blessed. He waited for 25 years. Think if you were in those shoes. You'd grow impatient, or your faith might start to waver. Well, let's be encouraged by how Abraham faced this challenge with great faith in a promise-giving and keeping God. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with a few observations about Abraham's faith. Number three, verse 18, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. Paul's looking backwards, isn't he? And he's saying, in contrary to hope, in hope he believed, and he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So number three is Abraham didn't quit. He didn't quit or give up on God. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't turn his back. When things got tough, he didn't just say, forget it. I'm done. Forget it, God. You know, I gave you five years. I gave you five years, God. It's five years in a day. I quit. No, no. Contrary to hope, he believed to the point where God's word came to pass. Let me just say this from my heart to yours. Apart from unbelievers resisting God's word and leaving this place, not believing in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sin, when I see people quit and give up, it grieves my heart. It's a grief to my heart. It breaks my heart when I just see people say, I quit. I give up. I'm done. It's over. It began so good, didn't it? Jesus Christ, he rushed into your life. Your life was changed. You were pulled out of the pit and it began so good, but then time passed. And time passed, and, and, and you didn't believe God's word here, and, and a tough thing happened over here, and then some person happened over there, and some situation happened over there, and it grieves my heart to watch believer after believer after believer just simply quit. Let me tell you, one of the places I see it that grieves my heart is when people quit churches. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to a family, speaking to a father, speaking to a single person, saying it's time for you to move on and be in another fellowship and, and to grow in another fellowship. I'm talking about the times where I had a little bit of problem here, so I quit. I'm going to go to another church. And I had a little problem there, and I quit, and I'm going to go to another church. And, and I'm going to go to that one. They're probably going to have a problem there, too. I'm going to quit there. Yeah, you know what the problem is? You. <laughs> and me. That's the problem. Because church now is just something we do. Some we attend. Somewhere along the way, we've lost the sensitivity of listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying Him. If God leads you to another fellowship, you have my 100% support. But if you decide to quit, I can't support that. 
I'm going to point you back to the Holy Spirit and say, what did you hear from God? Well, I'll tell you what I heard from God, Ed. You're a jerk. Okay, great. <laughs> he knows. But is that a reason to leave? Just to pick up and just run away? Oh, I want to be careful. I'm not talking about when God leads. I want to be careful because I want you to hear from God. But it's not just believers that quit on church. You know, pastors quit too. Do you know, every month, hundreds and hundreds of pastors quit the ministry. They just quit. So I'm done with this. I'll tell you, to, to go into the ministry, you've got to be called. I'll just tell you that right now. Because things happen. Difficulties arise. You know, for me personally, I've been out here for seven years, and I've truly wanted to quit at least three times. Truly. I mean, not, not just thinking about it. Not just waking up and going, oh, I think I'll quit. I mean, seriously thinking, I don't think this is what God has for me. I can't handle this, or I, I don't know how to do this, or some heavy-duty trial comes, and people just cut you and, and stab you, and, and, and it's like, man, Lord, this is crazy. And for at least three times, heavy-duty, man, I'm just like, this is crazy. I'm done. This is, and God says, no, 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 you're not done, son, because that's what I called you to do. So it doesn't feel good to get stabbed, does it? I said, no, it doesn't feel good. We'll talk to Jesus about it. He gave his life for the flock. It's like, well, Lord, can I just read that in a book? I mean, really, can I just, you send me a book on what it is to be hurt for the ministry? And so this isn't foreign to me. I realize and I understand that an attack of my faith is just to quit. Oh, it may not be pastors, it may not be believers. People quit their marriages. I quit. He's not what I bargained for. He's not the person I said I do with. I quit. Really? You quit. And God's given you permission to quit. Oh, yeah, God's given you, even though he hates divorce. Oh, yeah. Okay. Grieves my heart. In the days in which we live, we don't need more people quitting. We need more people enduring <laughs> and just going for it and saying, Lord, my life is your life. And even though what I see is contrary to hope, I'm not going to quit because, Jesus, you haven't quit on me. He's not going to quit on you. He's going to remain faithful to you, even when we're faithless. And I think it's a reason why the church at large today is so weak because it's easy to quit. It's easy to quit at every turn. Pastors quit, believers quit, churches quit. But to the one who perseveres, there's glorious fruit. Abraham, think about it. He could have just quit. 75, 100 years old, my wife's 90. Forget this. I don't know about this. But he doesn't. And because he doesn't quit, and contrary to hope and hope he believes, well, he becomes the father of many nations. You know what happens? This is what happens. You're right, just right there, ready to enjoy the fruit of God. You've come this far. You've battled this much. You've fought the good fight, but you've come to the place where you're ready to quit. And in your quitting, you miss the fruit that was one more day. That's all it was, just one more day. Like the guy that had a mine full of gold. He bought all the equipment. He knew the area was rich in gold and silver and precious metals. And he mined and he mined and he mined and he mined. For years he mined this, this cave and this area. And he dug and he dug and he hired and he hired. He spent his whole life fortune only to come up empty to the point where he just said, forget this. He goes into town, writes a piece of paper. Anybody that wants to buy my mine, buy it. I'll take the highest offer. Whatever you give me, take it. I don't want it anymore. And he sells it to a guy. A guy goes and works it for one more week, just one more week, and he hits the vein of gold that made him a multi-millionaire. Is that where you're at today, where you're just going to quit? But one more day, one more week, God's going to do something special in your life? 
something wonderful, even if it doesn't line up with exactly what you think is going to happen, my encouragement to you, like Abraham, is do not quit. Please, don't quit. I know you might be thinking about it, and I know you might be wrestling with it, but trust the Lord, would you please? Just trust the Lord. There's so much fruit for the person that endures, for the person that perseveres. And forget this world. The friends that tell you, just quit. Throw the guy away, a bum. Get rid of him. Quit, quit, quit. The Lord says, persevere and quit striving in the flesh. You want to quit something? Quit striving in your flesh. Quit leaning on the flesh. And like Abraham, trust in the Lord. I, I think Abraham's an example for us because I haven't met too many people that have been given a promise like this at 90 years old. Have you? I mean, it's impossible. It just it blows our mind. We, we, we can't even think that way. And God says, well, with Abraham, that's exactly what I did. Not only that, look at verse 19. Now, number four, if you're taking notes. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So number four is he ignored his physical limitations. He ignored his physical limitations. He didn't consider his own body or his wife's. With all the facts, he just didn't consider it. Didn't even take it into mind. Not even going to affect how he believes God. I, I know my body, but I'm not going to consider it. I'm not going to bring it into the picture because God's promise is God's promise. As far as what he could see or as far as what he could feel and touch, their bodies were dead in being able to produce a child. Their child and mothering and fathering days were over. There was no human way that he could have possibly fathered a child. It was over. Forget about it. Done deal. It's over. So what does Abraham do? Does he name it and claim it? I am going to have a child because God is... And does he speak to Sarah's womb? Womb, give me child. <laughs> Stay with me here. I'm serious. The motto for faith are not the health and wealth teachers on TV and the radio and throughout our town that say, just speak it, brother. The motto for faith is Abraham. And he, notice, doesn't consider the reality. He didn't ask for a love offering to help the womb of his wife. He doesn't try to cry out and say, come on, everybody, let's all get our faith in agreement for Sarah's womb. He doesn't do that. He's our model, not these modern-day health and wealth teachers that lead folks down the wrong path. And, and the health and wealth teachers, the faith teachers, they know exactly what they're doing. Even as they hear this Bible study, they know. They know that that's not the model that God gives us. Whatsoever, in any way, none. What does Abraham do? He trusts God to do it and to change this impossible situation. It says that he, in verse 19, this is my problem too, not being weak in faith. Not being weak in faith. Maybe today you're here and the doctor has said, this is your diagnosis. This is it. I've seen everything. I know it. This is it. I've seen this a hundred times. And it's an impossibility. There's no cure, no hope, no time. It's a medical fact. But you know, Abraham says he wasn't weak in faith. Paul tells us Abraham wasn't weak in faith. He's the father of the faithful. He's the father of the, of the faithful that trust in God. And I'm sure he thought about his situation. Medically, it was an impossibility, but he didn't let his faith grow weak. Got an email request, prayer request this week from a friend of mine in California, his dad, going into the hospital for a heart valve replacement. I think it's the second or third time that he's done this, his dad. 
his heart is weak and it's been beating a long time and it's weak and they have had to put valves in and he's starting to have chest pains again. He goes to the doctor. The doctor does all the tests, does all the MRIs, all the x-rays. He's scheduled for surgery Wednesday morning. Pray that the surgeons do well. Pray that they can change the, you know, this, uh, this kind of surgery, you actually put the person on life support. You remove the heart, put the valves in, put the heart back. It's a serious, heavy duty surgery. My dad went through it many years ago. And so we're praying for God's will. We're praying for God to do something wonderful that, that my friend's dad can have many, many more years on the earth before going to see the Lord. And as we're praying, we find, well, the story comes back that on the night before the surgery, there was an emergency heart transplant that had to take place where the doctor was up all night with this heart transplant. And so he wasn't able then to come in the morning and do the heart surgery. It got delayed for a day. So my friend's dad's in the hospital for a day and he's waiting again. And for some reason, I don't know, we haven't found out if it was routine or it's just something the doctor, because the surgeon is different than his cardiologist. So the surgeon does some tests. And on the day, they've got him all ready. They've got the tubes in him. He's under anesthesia. He's all prepped. He's on the table. The doctor's looking at the new x-rays and the new MRI, and he's saying, there's nothing wrong with his heart. The valve's working just fine. His heart's not swollen to the point where he calls the cardiologist and says, I can't operate on this, man. There's nothing wrong with him. They're like, man, was it a miracle of God? Could be. Was it a mistake on the front end? Could be, but I'll tell you, the brother was, he was right there on the table, ready to have this serious surgery, and God showed up in a mighty way, contrary to what everybody thought. I love doctors, they're precious, God uses them mightily, and I appreciate when God uses doctors and dentists and those that, that take care of our bodies, but listen, listen, faith transcends what the doctors say. And what our bodies might be saying. Be wise. Use medical professionals in your life for sure. But Abraham, even though his body, his body, everything about his body said no, God, he said yes. That's faith. Was that, wouldn't you agree? Is that faith? That's faith. So number one, he believed God in the God of the universe, right? Number two, he believed God's word. Number three, he didn't quit or give up on God. Number four, he ignored his physical limitations. Number five, verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. This is a key turning point for all of us that are faced with things and we're trying to determine the depth of our trust and our faith in our Heavenly Father. He didn't waver. Even though everything in his life caused him and tempted him to waver, he didn't waver. He stood strong on the promise of God. Number six is at the end of verse 20. He was strengthened in faith. You see, when you don't waver, then God comes and strengthens you in your faith. He strengthens you. He does that work. Abraham leaned on God's promises and his everlasting covenant, and he stepped out in faith. He stepped out believing God. He didn't waver, but he also was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was strengthened in faith. Let me give you a couple of tips on how to be strengthened in faith. Number one, if you want to be strengthened in your faith, read God's word. We looked at that already. Romans chapter 10. Be a man, be a woman of God's word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. But number two, act on what you hear. Did you hear that? Act on what you hear. If you want your faith strong, then act on what you hear. Don't wait to act on it. Don't plan to act on it. Don't figure out and try to figure out how it's all going to happen. But when you hear it, act on it. Just like James says. James says that we would be what? 
doers of the word, not hearers only. And so act on what you hear. Act on it. When in a Bible study, or you're listening in on the radio, or you've got your little iPod on and your headphones are on, and there is something the Holy Spirit brings to light, brings home in your heart, calls for action, please stop what you're doing and act on it. Don't say, I'll do it next week. Don't say, I'll do it next month. You know why? Because you probably won't. You'll probably forget. You may waver. You may not be strengthened in faith. If you want to be strong in faith, obey immediately. That's a good Bible study, by the way. Just go through the New Testament, look up the word immediately, and see how it changed people's lives. Immediately. Act on what you hear. If you're listening to a Bible study and, and God really hits your heart, let's say you're on your way to, to work and you're driving down Parker Road and there's a call to action, maybe it's just a call to prayer of repentance. Don't pray while you're driving with your eyes closed. Pull over, pull over and pray and then go to work. Don't say, well, I'll pray when I get to work because by the time you get to work, somebody might cut you off, you get on the flesh, turn the radio off, you say, forget this. Do it right immediately. If God gives you, you know, when there's a call in our church to pray and fast, then pray and fast. Oh, no, I don't have time. Oh, no, I can't do that. Great. Well, now you're setting yourself up to weaken your faith. Don't do it all legalistic. Well, I've got to do it. But have a heart to do it. It's like if there's a call to service, then serve. If there's a call to help, then help. If there's a call to, to, to just seek God's heart for your community, then seek God's heart for your community. Don't keep putting things off because when you put things off, they usually disappear. God's going to work in different ways for different people. You realize that? He even work in different ways for the same people. Remember the children of Israel when they were delivered from Egypt? God did a great work. It was awesome. But where did he lead them? Into a trap, didn't he? Remember, he brings them all the way up to the Red Sea. It's, it's more than they can traverse. It's, it's over. I mean, what are we going to do? Oh, let's go to the left. Can't go to the left, can they? Got big hills. Mount, we call them mountains today, but they're really hills. Very hard to traverse. Okay, let's go to the right then. We've got a couple million people. Let's go to the right and run away. Can't do that. Same hill on the other side. Oh, I know what we're supposed to do. Let's go back. Let's run behind us. Can't do that. You know why? The Egyptians are after them. They're stuck. Of all the places that God would lead them, he led them into an impossibility. It's a fascinating story. And we know the rest, right? They're right up at the Red Sea. What does God do? Boom, he smacks that Red Sea through Moses, moves it open. It's wide open so that they pass on what? Dry ground. Man, that's awesome. That's a great faith-building situation. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, fast forward 40 years. They're at the Jordan River. We know from the time of the season that it's at flood stage. And so they're ready to go into the promised land. It's been a rough 40 years. You know, wandering is never fun. 40 years of wandering is definitely not fun. All the unbelievers died in the wilderness. It's a whole new generation. They're ready to go in. So what do you think? Oh, God, just, just go ahead. Just, just hit the Jordan. No problem. Jordan River, you're good at rivers, God. No problem. Just, just tell me. Give me a staff. I'll strike it. We'll go through on dry ground. No, that's not what God said. As a matter of fact, God had a whole different plan for them. You know what it was? He told Joshua, get the Levites, get the priests, and have them walk into the water at flood stage. That's how I'm going to deliver you. I want you to walk and get your feet wet. And you're like, what? Get my feet wet. But I'll tell you, they did. And God showed up in a mighty way. There are some of you right now that God is calling you to get your feet wet in something that's very scary the rushing rivers of his promise. And you don't have a choice. You can't retreat. You can't run away. You need to get your feet wet. To grow, you've got to get wet and trust God. You don't know what's going to happen, but we know that God is going to be faithful. We don't know how it's all going to work out, but we know, we know that we're not going to waver in faith, but we're going to be strengthened by stepping out.
and giving God a chance to work. Number seven, as we close, is found in chapter 4, verse 20. He was strengthened in faith. And notice the final one there. He was giving glory to God. I mean, we could go on with a full list, but giving glory to God. Through it all, Abraham was a worshipful man. All glory, all honor, all awe, all respect stayed with God. I love verse 21. He was fully convinced. And the question has to be for us. Are we fully convinced that what he promised he's able to perform? Even when we don't see it, even when time passes, even when trials come, even when temptation comes, even when we're tested, Abraham was fully convinced that who God, what had God promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, verse 22, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Isn't that great? How encouraging. Look at verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. That's why Abraham existed. Why it was written down, so it's written for us, that shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That's the gospel message right there, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine, that he died a sinless death so that our sins might be covered. And he, was ro- he rose again the- so that our justification might be made sure by faith, not by works, not by the law, not by religious ritual, but by faith. So guys, build yourself up in the word of God. Even as you do now, let it be the pattern of your life. Don't just wait for some horrible crisis to come in your life and then start cramming in the word of God. Remember high school and college? Cram, cram, cram. I'm going to cram for the test, cram for the test. The problem is after the test, I forget everything. I don't remember anything. I mean, it's all gone because that's how I spent my whole time in school. Cram, cram, cram. (laughs) Last night we were watching football. It was a great game, by the way. USC was on. Great game. Great ending to that game. In between the halftime and during the commercials, you know, we mute the commercials. We video them. We don't want to see them. We just want to see the game. And my daughter was there. We played a little game and played a little math game. She's fourth grade. She's in math. She's making up all these things. What's 1996 times six? And we're all, Marie and I and Josh, we're all trying to win and be, you know, it was just, it was too much. I don't remember all the tricks I used to have to get that for the test. I don't remember. I probably crammed for the test and now I don't remember. And finally, it was just like so frustrating. My mind wasn't working that I got up and I said, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Because on my phone, I got a little calculator. And Caitlin should say, no, Dad, you can't do that. That's cheating. That's cheating. I said, no, 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 no. It's winning. That's what it is. It's winning. I'm all for winning. But it reminded me, I lived my whole life cramming for a test that I would quickly forget. If you're in a crisis right now, by all means, start cramming in the Word of God. But if you're not in a crisis right now, don't just wait for one. Say, you know, when tough times come, then I'll really get serious about the things of God. No, no, no. Don't wait for the tough times. They get tougher. Don't just cram and say, well, you know, I'll just cram and I'll get all the information I can and, and I'll get all in my head so, so that when something comes, then I'll be ready. No, no. Make the time in God's word, our time of fellowship, our time of devotions, a sweet time, a time of preparation, a time where, you know, this is something you're doing. We don't cram for tests. In our lives with God's word, we study for life. This is a lifelong process that God's doing in our lives. And at different times, his word is going to speak to our hearts. But we can be sure that it won't return to him void. We can be sure of that. And the life of Abraham can be an encouragement to us. Because the brother, he faced an impossibility. And God came through. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. As we saw last week. He is the faithful promise giver. And I'll tell you what, in my life, I want the faith of Abraham. I really do. 
I want to see these things come out of my life so that in my life, I can give glory to God for great things he has done. Amen? Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in Romans. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is a great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. We enjoy hearing from our listeners, even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.